Welcome to Ride, the urban mobility podcast. Welcome to Ride, the urban mobility podcast, hosted by me, Martin Carl of Thebetic, and me, Johnny Combe of Payback Ride, the urban mobility podcast, takes a look at the impact of new business models and new technologies on urban mobility from a global business perspective and explores how each new solution fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. The format of Ride is simple. We invite top industry experts to join us for an open and candid conversation. Ride is about the guests, what they have to say and what they bring to the discussion. You can find more details about shows and guests on our website, www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. This episode of the Ride Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Reuters Events and was recorded a few weeks ago at Reuters Automotive Europe 2022 in Munich, where I had the opportunity to interview Jan Vincent on stage. Jan is the CEO of Automotive Sales Company, or ACC, a European electric vehicle battery maker established in 2020. According to McKinsey, total annual battery capacity in Europe will need to scale from the current 60 gigawatt hours to 900 gigawatt hours to meet the EU's 2030 decarbonisation targets. Data from the International Energy Agency shows that China produces 75% of all lithium-ion batteries and is home to around 70% of production capacity for cathodes and 85% for anodes. China is also home to over half of all lithium, cobalt and graphite processing and refining capacity. So clearly, Europe has plenty of catching up to do. And that's where companies like ACC come in. ACC aims to install at least 120 gigawatt hours of industrial capacity by 2030. A little background to the company, it has three major stakeholders, SAFT, the wholly owned battery making subsidiary of energy giant Total Energies, also Mercedes-Benz and Stellantis, the automaker group that grew out of the merger between PSA Peugeot Citroën and FCA Fiat Chrysler. And it houses brands such as Alfa Romeo, Chrysler, Citroën, Fiat, Maserati, Opel and Peugeot. In France, the company has an R&D expertise center and a state-of-the-art pilot plant. There's a new applied engineering center in Germany, and ACC also plans to build a second lithium-ion gigafactory in Germany around 2025, and later also a new gigafactory in Italy. During our conversation, I asked Jan about the challenges that any battery maker faces in scaling production, and what challenges a European supplier will face in a market dominated by companies from Asia. We also talked about sustainability and long-term planning in an industry of rapidly evolving technologies. We'd like to thank Jan for taking part in this discussion, and thanks also to Reuters Events for collaborating with us on this episode of Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast. You can learn more about Reuters Events at reutersevents.com, and you can subscribe to Ride wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to share it, like it, give it a rating, sign up to the Ride LinkedIn page, and check out our website, ridemobilitypodcast.com. However, you may have seen in the news that not only has the European Parliament recently voted in favour of a ban on combustion engine car and van sales by 2035, last night the EU Council decided on 100% CO2 reduction for car and vans by 2035. So it's not true that Europe has no battery production. Currently, most batteries, however, are produced in Asia. There are two plants in Europe operated by Asian companies, 
But in order to meet those 2035 targets, which have yet to become law, Europe needs to steeply increase its battery production. And that's why I'm delighted to be joined by Jan Vincent of ACC. Jan, would you like to introduce yourself and then please tell us what ACC is? Uh, I'm the chief executive officer of, uh, of ACC. Basically, I'm a car guy. I've spent uh, most of my uh, career, the last 40 years, working for uh, uh, Renault-Nissan and uh, Stellantis. Uh, ACC was created uh, two years ago, in August uh, 2020, uh, uh, with a very simple objective, which is to build a, a European champion for engineering and manufacturing batteries in Europe. Uh, this, this objective is simply the translation of something which is very well understood uh, by the uh, European leaders, as well as by the European car manufacturers, which is that indeed so far, all the supply of batteries is coming from Asia. China, Korea, Japan, uh, and it has been perceived as a major threat. Because let's think a bit about uh, battery does account for roughly 40% of the cost of the vehicle. Can we imagine that for those 40% of the cost of the vehicle, of the EV, we rely 100% on a supply from China and Korea? It can't be. Uh, so that's, that's the reason why ACC was created. Initially, we had two shareholders, uh, Total Soft on one hand, Stellantis on the other hand, uh, since few months, we've been joined by Mercedes. So nowadays, we have three equivalent shareholders, uh, Mercedes, Stellantis, and uh, TotalSaft. And the mere fact that two or four shareholders are two very important car manufacturers does highlight the fact that they believe that we need a European uh, battery manufacturing uh, and that's the essence of our project. How quickly can you get a factory up and running? You're talking about two factories currently, one in Germany, one in France, and another coming in Italy, right? Yeah, so our plan is to have uh, eventually 120 gigawatt hours industrial capacity in 2030, and those uh, 120 gigawatt hours will be split into three equivalent uh, factories, one in France, north of France. So we've started to, we've started to build the first uh, gigafactory beginning of this year, and we will start the operation in this uh, first uh, factory uh, end of 2023. And then the, the next two are Kaiserslautern in Germany and Thermoli in Italy. Tell us a bit about the difference between producing batteries and producing engines. Are there any parallels or are there any major obviously major differences, but does an EV battery factory specialize in, let's say, high performance, low, low, uh, sorry, high performance, low volumes, or mainstream and high volumes? Or can one factory produce any kind of battery? Well, uh, obviously we, we, uh, we are ripping some economies of scales when uh, reducing, the, the, reducing the diversity. So. Uh, basically, we consider that we, we can afford it in a single block having two very different chemistries. So 
let's say one high cost chemistry, one low cost chemistry, to be very simple. Uh, and uh, from a mechanical point of view, uh, from a cell dimensions point of view, uh, we are better off having only one, one cell dimensions. Uh, but clearly our, our mechanical process is, uh, is designed a way it can accommodate different, uh, different size of cells. But the, the less diversity, the better off we are. Uh, and, and clearly, um, it's a process which, is, which has nothing to do with the, with the engine process. Nothing to do. It's uh, completely different. As somebody who leads a battery manufacturing company, talk to us not just about your company, but what are the challenges that face any battery maker in terms of raw material supplies, in terms of access to machinery, and, and all of the challenges that might be common to any manufacturer? Well, let's say that uh, the biggest challenge we, we are facing, uh, uh, that's true for ECC, I guess it's true for the other, uh, other European projects, is the fact that uh, we are starting now, whereas our Asian competitors have started 15 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, triggered by the willingness of China to move to EV, rather than to catch up uh, on, uh, on ice, because they were observing that they were lagging behind in terms of, of performance. And thanks to the decision of the Chinese authorities, um, the ecosystem around the batteries has been built. So that's, that's the major challenge, I would say, uh, relying, on the, uh, relying on the skills we have in Europe, uh, engineers, university, uh, companies such as SAFT, but not only, uh, to catch up very, very, very quickly. Um, the, the, the second point is clearly, and you, you, you did mention it, uh, the access to the raw materials. Um, the lithium demand uh, compared to today is going to be multiplied by something like six uh, uh, between now and 2030. Uh, nickel demand will grow by 30%. So why those differences? Simply because uh, lithium growth is fueled mostly by the automotive industry, by the batteries, whereas the nickel, uh, nickel industry is fueled by other, other clients than the, than the automotive clients. So it's a major challenge. Uh, because it does imply uh, new mines, and that's the reason why I guess you've seen that uh, there are initiatives such as the one of Vulcan in Germany, uh, a geothermal uh, extraction of, uh, of lithium uh, uh, in Rhine. Uh, there are similar projects in, uh, in Elsass in France. There are similar projects in, in Serbia, I guess. So they, there is a need for investing in new, in new projects. Uh, beyond, uh, beyond, I would say that the major risk on, uh, on the raw materials is on the cost side. Because uh, if, if the supply of those raw materials is behind the demand, uh, it's clear that the prices are going to go up. And, and they've already started to go up. Uh, there is not just not just go up. They've gone from four thousand yeah. to eighty thousand since January, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so 
partly it's speculation. So I, I guess it will go down uh, some extent in the next uh, few months, but, uh, but it won't come back to the initial numbers. And uh, it's clearly, a, it's clearly a, a major challenge because for the time being still, the cost of an, of, a, of an electrified car is significantly higher than the cost of an ICE. Uh, and, and, and if this gap remains, or even worse, gets, gets bigger, uh, it will challenge the demand from the end customers. Uh, so that's, that's an issue. And finally, the last one you, you, you did mention, the last challenge you did mention, is the challenge of the pieces of equipment. Uh, as I've said previously, the ecosystem has been built in China. Uh, all the pieces of equipment for a uh, battery manufacturer in Europe are coming from Asia. Uh, in our case, 30% from Korea, 70% from China. Uh, and all, for the time being, there is no European supplier of the pieces of equipment. Uh, the, 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 the potential suppliers of pieces of equipment uh, are lagging behind still in Europe. And, and it's clear that when you look at the, at the number of projects we have in Europe, but as well the number of projects you have in Asia or North America, if all those projects are turning to the same Korean and Chinese suppliers for their own supplies, we'll have a bottleneck. We'll have an obvious bottleneck. So it's a challenge this one. Why is Europe so far behind and what can Europe do? What do you need? Is it money? Is it? Well, I guess, I, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I know very well the, uh, the automotive industry, and uh, till uh, 2018, uh, inside the, the automotive uh, 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 manufacturers, apart maybe from Renault-Nissan, all the other ones were believing that, and, and even Renault-Nissan was forecasting 10% of the market being EV. Uh, all the other ones, they were thinking, well, we need having in our portfolio uh, 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 a number of uh, EV cars, uh, but we're not forecasting to have 100% of our registrations to be, uh, to be EV. Nowadays, you've heard Stellantis uh, from uh, 2030 uh, on, they will register only uh, EV, uh, EV cars, same thing for Mercedes. Every, uh, each, each car manufacturer is turning to 100% EV. Why? Because of the regulation on CO2, uh, which was, uh, which was uh, uh, made in 2018. And since then, the OEM have realized that there is no more hope for the, uh, for the, uh, for the ICE. It's a decision from the European community. It's a decision from the political leaders. We can have a piece of advice, but it's a decision which has been made. And I guess that the consequences in terms of potential markets have not yet been realized by the suppliers' equipment. That's my, that's my view. And obviously, we are discussing with them to convince that there is, there is a market for them, uh, provided they enter it. So from COVID to chip crisis to geopolitics and war now in the Ukraine, there's a growing attractiveness for local for local. Do you expect to benefit from what you might call battery nationalism? And 
to benefit greatly from that, European manufacturers turning to you in order to source their batteries, or do you still feel that there's a long way for European manufacturers to go, given that they're in existing contracts with Asian suppliers? Well, I mean, it's clear that uh, our, our customers and, uh, and ourselves, it's uh, the same thing, are more and more demanding on the uh, CO2 footprint, uh, ESG uh, for uh, our supply. Uh, it is obvious that EV are zero, zero emission cars and would be stupid to spoil this incredible uh, advantage by a production from mine till our manufacturing sites, uh, which will be highly CO2 emitting. Uh, and uh, the question of uh, localization of the supply in Europe uh, is indeed paramount. And uh, there are some projects. Uh, there are already some chemical companies which are operating in, uh, in Europe, uh, uh, namely uh, Umicore and, uh, and BASF. Uh, but there are, there are additional projects. Um, that's one. Uh, second, uh, the question of uh, uh, green electricity uh, is, is obviously paramount. Uh, we are asking uh, all suppliers. We are ourselves uh, uh, planning to utilize 100% of green electricity. There is still a debate uh, on the fact that uh, nuclear might be green or not. Uh, and, and it's a clear debate between France and Germany. Um, but we are, we are asking our, our suppliers to, to move to, uh, to green energy. And it's clear that in that respect, it might be an asset for Europe. Mm -hmm. it might, uh, and, and finally, the, the mere fact that we avoid uh, long-distance uh, shipments uh, is a way as well to reduce, uh, to reduce the CO2. Uh, last point, uh, ESG consideration uh, becomes more and more important. Uh, we are committed to vis-a-vis uh, -vis our, our customers on a full traceability of our supply chain from the mine steel uh, till, till all factories uh, to guarantee them that there is no cobalt from uh, artisanal mines in Congo where uh, children are working. Uh, there is no nickel uh, uh, from, from, from mines uh, with deep sea staining, etc., etc. One of the key concerns with battery electric vehicles is not just what you've talked about, the long supply chain that might have a murky tail end right through to the point of use where it's a question of whether the electricity used to charge the vehicle is clean or not, but also what happens after that battery is depleted to 85% and becomes either second life or recyclable. What are you doing to ensure that when it's no longer usable in an electric vehicle, it can be recycled, it can be put into second life applications? Well, clearly, um, uh, whereas recycling is the duty of the car manufacturers, mm -hmm. we are very much concerned with that. Uh, obviously, for, for, for a different set of reasons beyond the ethical reason. Uh, first reason is that when we say that at some point of time the raw materials might get uh, very scarce, the recycling activity uh, might be equivalent to a new mine. Right. So from that perspective, it's obviously very, uh, very interesting for us. Uh, we are uh, shooting for 
95% minimum of ore materials uh, to be recyclable. Uh, so we are designing a way it will allow the, the, the people in charge of recycling uh, to achieve such a, such a number. Um, then uh, the question of uh, what, what, what could be the usage of a battery at, at uh, its end of automotive life cycle around 10 years. Um, it may be used for storage of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a possibility. Uh, but uh, the, the, the companies operating uh, energy store, storage uh, will have a question to ask themselves. Am I better off getting an old battery or buying a new one? And it boils down to uh, the learning curve or the improvement curve we have uh, during the next 10 years. Uh, we, we are all announcing significant savings thanks to the technology, provided those savings are, are indeed achieved. I mean, uh, am I better off buying a new battery uh, whose cost is, let's say, $50 per kilowatt hour instead of a null one whose initial cost was $100 per kilowatt hour? I don't know, I don't know. But uh, that's clearly the question uh, which uh, the companies uh, uh, in charge of storage of energy will, uh, will ask themselves. So it is feasible, it is feasible. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's clear that, and, uh, and that's going to be my, uh, my last point, um, the question of uh, usage of battery at the end of their automotive life is obviously beyond, the, beyond the, uh, the, the lows, it's a key question for the car manufacturers because it has an impact on the residual value and hence on the leasing, et cetera, et cetera. We're almost out of time, but I'd just like to find out from you how you plan long-term in an industry that's still very nascent, that's still the battery technology is relatively immature and there are new technologies coming along. At the same time, we've got massive increasing demand. So you've got to build factories to fulfill that demand. At the same time, be flexible enough to, let's say, accommodate solid-state battery technology. Can well, you, how do you do that? I mean, uh, our view, I mean, this industry is uh, highly capital-intensive. And I mean, the, the idea that you, you might write off uh, an asset uh, four or five years after having invested it because the technology has completely changed uh, is an illusion. It won't happen. Uh, our belief is that uh, once uh, solid-state battery uh, will be on the market, uh, the share of solid-state battery uh, will regularly increase, but uh, the, the, the gigafactories which have been invested with a liquid solution uh, won't be changed overnight to accommodate to, uh, to these new uh, solid-state batteries. So, so we are planning, we are, we, we are planning our uh, industrial roadmap based on our technological roadmap, and the, 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 the plant we will build in, uh, in 26 will be different from the one we are building currently. Jan Vincent, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ride, the urban mobility podcast, is brought to you by Covetic and Pay by Phone. 
Learn more about Ride Podcast Partners at www.covetic.com. This episode of Ride was recorded and produced by Martin Strong with marketing support from Natalie Webster. You can subscribe to Ride wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to share it, like it and give it a rating. Sign up to the Ride LinkedIn page and check out our website for episode notes and links and the Ride podcast blog at www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. Visit www.ridemobilitypodcast.com.